We are the Carwells. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. Welcome to the Superhost Labs podcast. (laughs) All right. Well, welcome back, everyone. Welcome, our listeners. Um, Today, we have a very special guest on our episode named Bryce. You may have seen him around social media as he is very prevalent as well there. Hello, Bryce. Hello. How are you guys doing? (laughs) Good. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us on here. Um, For our listeners who don't know who you are, why don't you take a minute and kind of introduce yourself? Yeah, so I guess kind of the quickest way to explain it is I'm the founder of a company called Hugh Home Rentals. Um, Kind of in the, you know, Airbnb space, real estate, uh, kind of tech. Um, So I've been essentially doing real estate and kind of Airbnb type stuff for about the last eight years. Um, and so I started a company called Hugh Rentals. Essentially, we help people uh, find properties, uh, purchase them, set them up. Uh, we kind of uh, have an emphasis on experiential stays, so really cool amenities and all that. Um, and then we set them up and run them for them. Um, and then on the back end, we also run all their social media, um, you know, branding, PR, influencer stays, all that type of stuff. So um, kind of like a one-stop shop for you know, the new version of Airbnb, I'd like to call it. <laughs> yeah, you kind of do it all. Yeah, and that's so needed in today's Airbnb climate. Like the the management style five years ago versus how you add value as a management company now when it comes to Airbnb is vastly different. So we'll definitely, yeah, definitely. dig into that on this episode and <laughs> kind of pick your brain. Doing that all at scale, it helps to have a team that does it for you, so... <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Well, before we kind of dive into all these topics, as always, we start each episode with an Airbnb horror story. And honestly, the best horror stories always come from people who run management companies of some form or fashion, (laughs) because you guys really get the most exposure to the front line on the horror stories. So if you've got one or even two, why don't we kick it off with... uh, some of the worst experiences you've been through as an Airbnb management company? Yeah, so probably the craziest one. So before we started Hugo Rentals, we actually had another company that was called Resortigo. Um, and that company, we had a lot of a pretty big presence in Los Angeles. Um, this is before all the changes in Los Angeles. We had these mansions and, you know, Hollywood Hills and all that type of stuff. Um, and there was this guest one time that we started getting, you know, calls from all the neighbors. Um, you know, everyone's super upset, like the whole street completely filled with cars. Rager. When I say rager, like, you know, professional DJs on every floor, like just crazy party. Um, and we call the cops. The cops go, they can't even do anything because apparently this guy has some sort of, you know, political amnesty or something. He's the prince of some, you know, country. I don't even know. But essentially, they couldn't do anything. And so all they said was, I mean, we got to let him kind of go. We were able to get in there the next day. Place is completely demolished, Um, you know, holes in walls, all this stuff. And so, you know, luckily, uh, Airbnb, you know, has policies to kind of protect you in those situations. not always the easiest to navigate those situations, but we were able to get, you know, all the money back, get everything fixed. We had to shut down for a little while, but um, just one of those situations where, I mean, you don't even think that that could happen until it happens. Um, Obviously, you know, parties can happen from time to time, but not something that the police can't even shut down. Um, So that was, you know, pretty crazy to go through. (laughs) No, thank you. Yeah, yeah uh, right? do you think Airbnb's new party ban would have taken care of that? <laughs> or... I mean, I I don't think anything could have, really. I mean, I guess better vetting guests, but it wasn't even him that booked. It was just like a random person on his team. And so there like, wasn't really much that we could do. Um, part of the reason why we stay out of you know big cities and stuff now, I mean, um, I think that lends more to those types of things happening no matter what you do. Um, we go to more vacation hotspots and stuff now where it's people are kind of traveling to go there. It's not really turning into party hotspots, but, um, yeah, that was definitely a wild experience to go through. Wow. To have the power of a prince. (laughs) Cops show up and be like, "Mm -hmm, no. (laughs) Yeah. That's incredible. And also a nightmare. 
it's like the ultimate like frat bro calling out like my dad's gonna sue you type situation right like do you know who my father is <laughs> yeah exactly and they're like oh shit yeah we do okay Swim yeah on. they're like you're right bye <laughs> That's incredible. Oh my, oh my gosh. The uh I, I wouldn't be responsible with that amount of power. I would be that guy too. I'd be like, you know what? The law don't abide by it to me, so let's just move on. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, that's a good kickoff story. Holy cow. No thank you. I can't even Definitely imagine never heard that one before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just saw Michael Elefante's post like yesterday about how one of his Nashville parties or Nashville properties had a party thrown at it with a professional DJ. So you're the second person in the last two days that I've heard someone like haul in professional dj equipment to just absolutely obliterate an airbnb yeah i've definitely heard of it before but you know typically you can at least utilize the police to you know come in and shut it down and to not even have that at your disposal is pretty wild so um yeah i haven't heard of anybody else running into that situation yeah no thank you maybe i'm just such a rule follower i would never i would never throw a party at an airbnb i would be way too scared to get in trouble yeah Yeah, i'm i'm the same way like i've i've reached out to people and like said hey here's exactly what we want to do like we want to get a bounce house like we'll do it on the cement like it's just the you know 10 people that are going to be here and they say no and i'm like all right no no worries we won't do it you know but i think that's also part of me going through these horror experiences and stuff with all the guests that we've had over the years um to where you just kind of have a newfound respect for everything um but yeah unfortunately not everyone thinks of things that way (laughs) yeah no absolutely not um okay so to kind of dive into our questions here because we have a lot to kind of uncover with you um Aside from the little bit of backstory that you've given us so far, how did you end up in the short-term rental space to begin with? Yeah, so it's I mean, it's kind of a long story. I'll try to shorten it up a little bit, but um, I, a lot of it's luck, to be honest with you. So when I was in, uh, in college, I got a job interning with a company called Home Suite. And at the time they were kind of trying to compete with Airbnb. Uh, it was kind of the beginning of Airbnb where it was kind of strange because they couldn't even operate in the city that they were in uh, because of the 30 day regulations and stuff. And so we came in and we we're like, hey, why don't we do furnished rentals for um, you know 30 days or more? And so um, you know, I was working there for a while uh, doing sales, really getting an understanding on how this type of stuff works. Um, and then it just so happened my next job when I moved back down to Southern California after school was also kind of in a, a similar space. It wasn't even by design. It just kind of happened that way. Um, and so that company does timeshare rental. Um, the reason why we're the largest in the country is because we were the first ones to figure out how to do that on a large scale through Airbnb, VRBO, all that type of stuff. Um, and so, you know, fast forward a little bit of time, came up with the idea to utilize our software for, um, you know, vacation home rental management on a larger scale. Um, and that's kind of how I got into it. Um, made a lot of mistakes. Like I said, we've had two companies now, it's kind of doing the same type of stuff. But I think we're at a point now where we've learned a lot of really good lessons and able to put those into uh, a very viable business now. I love that. Well, and it's also rare to talk to someone who's been in the SDR space or the Airbnb space for longer than, you know, five years. It's like, it, it was mm-hmm. a slow roll for people at the very beginning. And now it's like catching like wildfire, but you know, the vast yeah. majority of people have gotten in within the last half a decade. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's, it's, that's one of the things that like, I think I have a unique perspective on because when you see all the changes that happen throughout that time frame, it helps prepare you for potential changes in the future, right? Like there's so many people you talk to that are like, you know, got in in the last year and they're like, yeah, I'm doing so amazing. I'm doing it on my own. Like, you know, I've got 100% occupancy and all this different stuff. But like, I think a lot of those people don't realize that it's not always like that, right? It's the same thing with real estate. There's a lot of new agents that got into real estate and sold a bunch of houses during this hot market and it started to slow down. And they're like, I can't sell a house in a day anymore. Like what's wrong? Um, So it's, I think going through the ebbs and the flows of the industry over that whole time frame, um, you start to look at things a lot different um, and kind of realize that you can't just 
post something and it's going to rent forever. I mean, you've got to constantly be changing. You've got to look at these things as miniature businesses and, um, you know, every other house being kind of your competition. Yeah. 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 And you mentioned making mistakes. I think if people go into something, assuming they're not going to make mistakes, (laughs) that's just (laughs) crazy. But that's, I mean, we vocalize on our social media all the time, how many mistakes we made and how like much better of a place we're in now because we made those mistakes. So when people are like, oh, I don't want to make any mistakes at the beginning. I feel like it's so obvious that you have to, or you're never going to learn to make your business better. Yeah. And that's, that's part of the reason why I'm such a big advocate for utilizing management companies. Um, yes, I, I totally understand. People can do it on their own. Like, I'm never going to discount that, but you're going to go through all those mistakes on your own, and that's going to be costly. Uh, and especially as the industry is kind of changing, like we talked about at the very beginning, those mistakes can be even more costly, right? I see a lot of these properties in the different areas that were in pop up, turn into an Airbnb, and they're selling it in six months because they just never got it off the ground. Um, and if they would have partnered with the right people at the beginning, they would have been a lot more successful. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the first one to always say, like, people can definitely do it on their own, but you have to have the tenacity and, um, you know, the ability to kind of get through those. Uh, negative experiences that you're 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 gonna have at the beginning oh yeah and the beginning is such a heavy lift like yeah especially i mean with us coming from the design background and and beginning in the airbnb space with design we worked so closely with investors and i mean for new investors a lot of times a lot of times the investors that we see kind of come over into the short-term rental space were people who were previously in long-term rentals. Yeah. And the difference between managing a long-term rental or, you know, purchasing and getting a long-term rental up and running versus a short-term rental, it's like, it's not a small jump. It's not a small bridge. And so, you know, they anticipate it to be this like kind of quick turnaround process. They're like, oh, just throw some furniture in there. There's just a few yeah. more communication pieces on the front end. And we're like, no (laughs) yeah like long-term rentals (laughs) is like this small hill and short-term rentals is like this huge mountain that you're climbing over and so especially at the beginning to have as much support as possible like you've got to be either willing to go through those failures or willing to cough up a pretty penny to understand it and do it right the first time or otherwise it's just a mess yeah no i totally agree we've got a lot of clients actually that have come from just like the the traditional flipping space um, that were trying to do it on their own. And I had conversations. I was like, look, like, here's the difference, like exact examples of a house that you flipped and the type of, you know, finishes you put in and everything is just completely different than if you're going to set up an Airbnb, or at least if you're going to set up a successful Airbnb, right? Um, And, you know, it kind of goes back, like, we really focus on higher end stuff. I'm not saying that like you can't have lower end Airbnbs that are successful. Like there, there's a market for everything. But um, I always try to talk about kind of the things that we do. Um, and those investors, it's a huge learning curve. Like we have two right now that are setting up Airbnbs um, and they kind of treated it very similar to uh, their kind of long-term rentals or the flips that they were doing and they just keep talking about how much more money they've spent how much longer it takes and you know all these extra hurdles that you have to get through that they're just not used to um and so it is nice to be able to help those people out um and you know i started kind of talking to a lot of those types of investors lately because um, i think a lot of people thought that it'd be an easy transition like you said and it's just not no it's not at all (laughs) don't (laughs) don't we know (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you kind of mentioned that you're like a one-stop shop for people who are trying to get into the space and you can run it for them. So what offerings do you think that hosts should pay attention to when they're looking for a quality management company? So when I say one-stop shop, it doesn't mean that we personally do everything. It means that we can help you with everything. And so I'm very passionate about the way that we've set up our business because there's a lot of these really large companies, and we were one of them, right, that try to do everything. And when you try to do everything, you're usually lacking in at least one area. Um, and so the second time through with Hugh Home Rentals, the only offerings that we do in-house are uh, Airbnb listing management. So, you know, setting up, optimizing, 
uh, pricing, um, you know, guest communication before this day, like all that type of stuff. Um, and then we do kind of the social media side of things. So branding, PR, social media, uh, influencer stays, giveaways, like all that type of stuff. And the way I look at that is we've got kind of two ways to get clients. One is directly through Airbnb, the other is through social media. I'm sure you guys see a lot of that as well. Um, it's a huge way to bring in that extra demand. Um, all the rest of the services, we have local people we can connect you with, but we don't physically do it ourselves, right? We know we're not good at those things. I can um, essentially kind of coach you through it. We don't charge anything for that consultation or anything or setting up those um, situations, but um, we have local people that handle all that. And so when I talk to people about what they should look for in a management company, I think it all depends on what your needs are, right? And the reason why we set up our business this way is because we understand that people have different needs for whatever they're trying to accomplish. Um, if you're just looking to have uh, a property that's going to make you more than a long-term rental, but you don't want to touch anything, then those large companies that are out there like Vacasa and you know Avant Stay and some of those other ones um, are a good option for you because you don't have to think about it. You're just collecting a check every single month. Your house might not be maintained 100%. You might not have the highest returns you possibly could, but you're not having to think about it. Um, you know, so I guess it all just kind of depends on what services you're looking for. And then I would I would just do research on, you know, which one kind of fits your needs the most, because I think everyone has their own pros and cons to it. Ooh, interesting. So you don't actually do like a day in, day out guest communication. You do the optimizing of the listing before they put it online. So we optimize it and then we manage that listing moving okay. forward. We don't do guest communication during this day. So we have a local manager in all the different areas that we're in that we connect, that we partner with. Um, so they run all the cleaning, the maintenance, and the guest communication during this day. Um, we do see ourselves as kind of a smaller boutique feel. So every client that we have, I'm in a group chat with them and the, the local manager. And so I am involved in all of those decisions and kind of coaching people through it all and all that. But we don't have a service in-house that's physically doing all of that. And so we don't charge for any of that extra that we do just to kind of, because like, at the end of the day, we can get you ranked on the top of Airbnb, but if you're getting bad reviews or if the house isn't set up well, it's just a waste of our time and it's not going to do anything better for you. And so we want to make sure that whoever we're partnered with um, is all like everybody's got to kind of carry their weight. Right. Yeah, Ooh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, that, that is an interesting way to do it because we always talk about Airbnb is hyper local, right? Like every mm -hmm. single market, it's completely different setting up an Airbnb in Scottsdale than it is in Michigan and everything is hyper local. And so having somebody in those specific markets is really nice because they're going to know the market better than anybody. Yeah. Exactly. How yeah. many how many markets are you in currently? So I mean, it depends on how you look at it, but we're in the Joshua Tree area is our biggest, which is Joshua Tree, Yucca Valley, uh, 29 Palms, that whole area. Um, we've got houses in Big Bear, Arrowhead, which again, kind of the same market um, and kind of the surrounding cities right in there. Um, we've got a property live in Apple Hill, which is Placerville. It's kind of Northern California going up to Tahoe. Um, which that one's completely surprised me. Only reason we took that on was because our client had a house in Joshua Tree too. And so we're like, yeah, we'll help you out. That one's doing amazing. Um, and then we've got uh, the Paso Robles area, um, some properties that are just closing escrow that are gonna be coming on soon. So um, it's all California, all kind of bigger kind of vacation hotspots. Um, but we're trying to be really particular in when we grow and how we grow because again we made those mistakes last time <laughs> <laughs> oh don't we know scaling too quickly can be the death of you <laughs> yeah definitely 100 percent. so as far as you on the front end where you actually handle in-house kind of the seo or optimization of the listing itself what what kind of outcomes do you usually push when you're pitching that? Like, is there a percentage difference in overall profitability? How quickly can you get it to the top of the listing? Like, give us your pitch if we were coming to you and we were saying, hey, here's our Airbnb listing. What can you do for us? Yeah. So, I mean, 
a lot of that stuff's really difficult, right? Because especially if you're starting from scratch, like what are you going to compare it to? Um, but the biggest thing that, or there's a couple big things that we provide that a lot of these other companies don't. One, there's no long-term contract with us. And so at any point you can cancel with a 30 days notice. On top of that, the listing we're doing in our client's account, we're just co-hosts on it. And so it makes it easier for them to leave if they want to. A lot of those big companies will do it on their own. So you can't take the reviews, you can't take the future bookings, all that stuff. And so we've set everything up in a way where we have to perform or else you know there's there's no future right um same thing with the social media at any point you can cancel you own that social media account so all the followers and everything are yours um so i guess that's the biggest thing in terms of like building up the trust um the other side of that is just proof in terms of showing them the other listings that we have and how they're kind of ranked and how well they do um i mean there's not really a percentage to look at because again there's no gain in terms of you started with this company before and now you come to us and you're going to do that but because of the way we've set up our business with you know not trying to charge people an arm and a leg we're always trying to find ways to not only save our clients money but um put them in a position where they're keeping more of their money because our whole business is centered around people buying other properties through us and giving us referrals and all of that. And so it, we wouldn't be able to survive as a company with just a bunch of one-off properties with one-off clients, right? And so um, I think the biggest thing kind of going into business with us is that we've set everything up in a way to be true partners. We have to continually prove ourselves. And so we've got to kind of build up that trust and you know give them the out if they if it's not working for them and it's just never happened right it's like everyone kind of stays with us everyone's buying multiple properties everybody's giving us referrals um and so you know at some point you just got to kind of have that leap of faith and more often than not we get it yeah. yeah and i think it's great that you go about it that way as well because we agree i mean when we were designing previous to joining super slabs we always said you know we have yet to meet a host who stops at one and so yeah. that that referral game and that repeat business from existing client game really is the bread and butter of the service people around, you know, support around around hosts. Yep. So yeah. one thousand percent agree. Um, and then secondly, I've gone through management companies, right? Like I've used multiple management companies for my properties. And I went through that entire process of my first one, I signed a contract, they put it under their Airbnb account, yep. and I lost all the reviews. And they had built up the listing to where it was nearly impossible to step away from them. And then when I, when I realized that they weren't really like, gauging their success, right? They didn't know my monthly yeah. bills, they didn't know what kind of profit I was making, they didn't know what I made year over year. Like it was just this like very passive set it up and forget it situation with them, kind of like mm -hmm. a Vacasa. I mean, Vacasa's gotten a little bit better over time, but still, it's not like a boutique management company by any means. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm leaving so much money on the table, and now I'm like cornered into this like contract situation. Yeah. And so, I agree. I think that the boutique, like when people ask our opinion on how to go about like searching for a correct management company, we're like the smaller, the better. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, obviously there's pros and cons with that. Sometimes if you're going super small and they're just kind of starting out, like you're going to go through growing pains with them and stuff. And, um, you know, luckily at least we have the experience behind us too. Um, but the reason why I like, the biggest reason why I like the way that we're growing is because we're able to have control over that growth, right? So if you just throw a bunch of money into marketing, one, you're, you're probably wasting a lot of money. Um, but two, you've got so much more growth with the company that you have to build around that, right? You gotta build out sales team, you gotta build out you know, all this different stuff. And on top of that, you can go from 10 properties to 50 in a month, which how are you going to manage all that growth, right? Unless you're either pre-hiring and wasting a bunch of money or you're being too slow to hire and now that service goes away. And so that's kind of my biggest
beef, I guess, with some of these large companies that are out there is that's how they went about it, which there's no issue in that, right? But it's just how they had to because they got funding and they had to, you know, appease the uh, the people that finance them and they have to essentially show as many doors as possible and they lose track of the actual um, client, which at the end of the day, the only reason why you have any income is because you have those clients. Um, and so for us, we try to think about it completely opposite where the only reason why I'm sitting here having these conversations is because of my clients, right? And what can I possibly do to help them keep as much money as possible and make as much money as possible and maintain their property in the best way possible so that they can continually grow uh, their portfolio because at the end of the day, that also helps me, right? But if we have the same goal in mind, then we both win. Yeah, absolutely. I'm jumping ahead in questions here a little bit, but it kind of goes with that. So when you're looking at somebody who comes to you and decides that they want to use your services, how are, are you selective in that process? Like, they have to be willing to put so much into their property to bring it up to the standard of what you're looking to be able to manage, things like that. Are you like selective in that process? Yeah, so we've gotten really selective with it. I turn people down all the time. Um, and it's always a hard conversation because a lot of times people have put you know their heart and soul into setting these things up. And at the end of the day, if you don't have the finances to get it to that next level, I mean, there's not much we can really do. Um, but it's 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 a couple factors that we look at right so we feel like we're building a brand around huge home rentals right so if you look at a lot of our properties and what we do um there's kind of a level that people expect or that we want people to expect moving forward um and if we start to take on properties that aren't hitting that level then it starts to kind of water down our service a little bit more um, and with us not paying for any marketing the only marketing we really do is through people just reaching out through social media referrals. Um, part of the reason they're reaching out is because they see all these amazing properties that we put together. Um, so we can't really water down the brand. The other thing is uh, the clients themselves. <laughs> you you kind of learn a lot in the first couple calls, you know, asking them questions and seeing if they're willing to do certain things and all that because at the end of the day, we're charging the same percentage to everyone. And if we have clients that are taking up too much of our time just because of one reason or the other, it's just taking us away from other things that we could be doing. Um, and again, we're trying to be as slim as possible on everything and make people keep as much money as they possibly can. And so if I'm spending 90% of my time with one client, I, I, it doesn't give me the time to give to all the rest of my clients. Um, so it's kind of a mixture of all that stuff. Um, we're willing to take on you know, a property that does less in revenue, as as long as that reason is more so the size of it, right? Mm -hmm. So if we have like a one bedroom that's super nice and has a couple cool amenities and, you know, people still want to go there, but we just can't get the super high nightly rate. So maybe it's bringing in, you know, seven grand a month rather than, you know, the other properties that are bringing in, you know, 17 grand a month. That's fine with us because it's still pushing across the huge brand. Um, but ideally we're trying to get to a point where we average somewhere around, um, you know, a 10,000 a month range for all of our properties, because that brings in about a thousand dollars a month for us. Right. And so we can kind of justify that in terms of growth. Yeah, that makes a lot yeah. of sense. And we've had the same conversation or similar conversations with other people who run similar management companies, right? Maybe not as in-depth as yours or as supportive as yours, but still they run into the same issues where it's like, you really have no choice but to be selective with people, especially on how much handholding they need. Because at yeah. the end of the day, like one, they're paying you to do this service, right? They're paying you to handle it. But in that same breath, these properties are their babies. Like it's not like, you know, hosts have put no money into them like everyone's put a small fortune into these especially yeah. luxurious experience-based properties so to let that go to like release the reins and be like okay i trust yeah. you to like pull in all of this revenue that can be a big push and pull and you really have to have someone who like either has felt the pain point of managing themselves and they really want to be out of it or that trust is built up because of your social media or whatever else that they're like okay this cat knows what he's doing and he's going to take a good job taking care of my property. <laughs> yeah, I think the biggest thing for us is because 
a lot of our clients, I sell them their house too, right? Mm-hmm. And so because I've already built up all of that in terms of going through a real estate transaction with somebody, which you guys have bought properties. I mean, it's it's you've got to you you've got to build up trust with your clients when you're going through that. Um, and so by the time that's all done, and then I connect them with you know the local person to set up the house, and I'm involved in the whole thing, giving ideas back and forth, and you know all the way through that process. By the time we're actually renting their house, I mean, I, I had this conversation with another client the other day, like. I just had a, a baby um, and not every single one of my clients sent me a gift for the baby, right? Oh. And, and it's not like I would ever expect that by any means, but it shows you the type of relationship that we build up with our clients. Um, and so you can only really do that when you've you know, gone through all of those experiences. So by the time we get to renting the house, we don't really have any questions. It's the people that come, and especially people that have done, you know, long-term rentals in the past and they want to transition into a short-term rental. Those are the very difficult situations. Um, And even, you know, some people that have done it on their own and want to kind of hand over the reins, usually they're not really ready to hand over the reins yet. Um, So those are kind of the more difficult ones. And so what's hard for us is, just it's just the type of person I am, and if anybody calls me at any time of the day, I'm always going to pick up the phone, no matter how busy I am. And so I kind of have to, at some point, look back and be like, okay, I can't handle this person anymore because they are taking up so much of my time, and I can't say no to them. Um, and so by the time I get there, I, I'm not getting rid of clients, but I have to be better at upfront recognizing those traits and being like, hey, I don't think we're going to be a good fit. Um, which I've gotten a lot better at recently. Um, we used to say yes to everybody. Um, and now it's, you know, very, we're still growing rapidly, but, um, we're turning away a lot more people. Yeah. Yeah. Setting boundaries in your business is a good thing though. I think we learned that lesson after a a while of being in design, we were taking whatever budget the client would give us and saying, you know what, we'll work with it and we'll give you the best product that we possibly can with your budget. And finally, we just had to say, sorry, you're going to have to up your budget to this much because our portfolio also needs to reflect the standard that we're holding our designs to. And sometimes people would up their budget and sometimes they wouldn't. And that's fine. We don't want people to spend money they don't have, but we had Mm -hmm. to make the decision not to take on clients for that reason. And I think that that's a really good tactic because your business is not successful if you are having like all over the board type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you find it, kind of find your niche and you stick to it um you end up being a lot more successful and able to just spread your time out a lot better you know um so that that was kind of a a big lesson that we learned when i told you we made a lot of mistakes before was you know that um and part of the reason why it's taken us so long to kind of grow Hugh homes was because i was so passionate about we have to be selective on all these things and then when you kind of take into consideration we're helping people find a house go through escrow set it all up like sometimes i meet somebody and i'm not renting their house for nine months um and we're not charging anything in there you know i mean obviously i get you know real estate commission if i sell in the house but besides that like we're not you know making that monthly income um and so it took a long time but we kind of hit that you know exponential growth here just the last couple months where uh december i think we were at four properties we were doing and now we've got like 32 signed on um so it's pretty fast rapid growth of people just like hey i want to buy another one here's my friend here's my cousin here's you know my sister that wants to buy and so um it's really kind of taken off which is it's nice to see all that hard work and then you know at least kind of my hypothesis kind of coming true a little bit yeah so that kind of leads me right into the next question where do most of your leads for new prospective clients come from is it social media is it word of mouth is it buying a house coming to you what does that look like yeah so i think it's kind of a mixture we've got um like some of our clients are purchasing other properties we've got um lot of referrals which are always nice because it proves that you've done a good job you know um and so when you have somebody's property taking off and they give you you know a couple like three referrals of people that also want to buy it's it's great um so we've had some of those um we've also had a huge uptick from social media um from both our hugue account which that was mainly because we had a couple of properties start to do really well. 
um, to where now everybody's like, hey, I saw what you did with this property. I want to do the same thing. Um, and so that those are always really fun ones to have. But I just also recently started kind of my own personal Instagram account uh, in terms of branding and you know the business side of things. And we've I've already sold three houses <laughs> from people that I've gotten through there. So um, it is really cool to see uh, kind of the social media side of things really help us out because it's really inexpensive compared to what we were paying before. I mean, we were paying, when we first started, we were paying 12 grand a month in uh, just regular Google ads and we got zero clients from it over a year. Um, and I mean, we got a bunch of calls, but it was a lot of people we couldn't work with. Right. Um, and then once you start social media and you start getting people, they already come to you with an understanding of what type of stuff you do. And so it's a lot easier conversation to be like, yeah, we need to build a similar property to the one that you came to us with. Um, so it's just, it, it's night and day difference uh, using, utilizing social media for stuff. Oh, yeah. don't you, we know. If you build your story <laughs> correctly on social media, it can change, it can change everything. Yeah, yeah. it's in, it's incredible. I mean, just today, like, you know, Emily and I were on social media just because we were creating cool spaces and we were like, we want to show these off. And we really didn't mm -hmm. have any intention of, we didn't know what we were expecting, right? Like we, we just were like, okay, well they say to post on social media, so we'll post on social media. And yeah. after doing so, it's like just the volume of people that get to see who you are, who like mm -hmm. would have otherwise never even known you existed. Just being seen alone brings so many opportunities to your doorstep that you never would have expected otherwise. So yeah. Uh, I just like want to scream from the mountaintops for anyone with a small business. I'm like, just, I don't care how cringy you think it is. I don't care how cringy yeah. it's going to be when you look back on it in 10 years. <laughs> like, please, for the love of God, start posting anything anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, the only reason why I did, so I don't know, you guys probably saw there's like a, a cutoff of when I started, right? Um, and like barely any posts before that. I kind of went through a whole phase of like, I'm, I'm not against social media, but I just didn't like posting all the time. I was like, no one needs to know my life. Like, I'm just private, like people that I, you know, love will see the kind of the growth and everything. And then I started seeing how successful it was for Hugh. And I was like, well, maybe I need to start doing the same thing. Cause I started to get people because of Hugh being like, Hey, you know, come do this podcast with me, do this speaking event. Like, Hey, I want to write this article about you, like all that. And I was like, I need to kind of capitalize on that momentum. Um, and that's why I started was because I was already having these conversations with people every day, but it was just one on one. And I wanted to get the same information out to more people. Um, and so it was more of a way to get the message out to more people and for credibility, because I'd have people call me all the time just out of the blue, where it would take me an hour of a conversation. But by the end, they're like, Oh, you know what you're talking about. Now, I'll just be like, hey, go check out, you know, this podcast that I did, go check out my social media. They call me five minutes. They're like, oh, you know what you're talking about. Right. And so I think that's a really big aspect of it, too, in terms of just the credibility when people see, you know, all the videos you're putting out and the connections that you're making and, um, you know, just the different things that you've been able to be on. I think it kind of puts a different mentality in their head when they first start talking to you. Yeah, yeah, you kind of get to skip the sales portion of it and you get to jump to the building the relationship portion of it, which yeah. is way more fun <laughs> than the sales portion. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 100%. Well, yeah, I love that. I mean, I love the style of videos that you're putting out too. I think that like, as far as branding goes, all of yours look cohesive, concise, like, you know, it just... <laughs> I was looking at it last night and I was like, man, this guy's kind of got it figured out. So congratulations on that yeah. front as well. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd like to take um, all responsibility, but I actually just pay someone to run all of it for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I do take, I, I've gotten really into, because I, I, I wanted to have this whole like lifestyle with business type thing. Because I, again, I just had uh, a little baby girl and you know I got married not that long ago and you know, I want to show kind of my life kind of growing with the business and everything because I am so into traveling and all these other things too. So it all kind of fits together well. Um, so I do all of like the videos of like my daughter and, you know, my family and different things like that. Um, and I've gotten, you know, a little cringy where I went and got a little tripod and I'm setting it up outside of the car before I go take the car seat out and, you know, I'm filming <laughs> myself from afar. And, um, 
Yes, it's it's kind of fun when you get into it a little bit, though. Uh, I definitely want to get into some of the stuff that you're doing where it's more of like the, you know, funny kind of TikTok stuff, too, because um, that's what <laughs> I enjoy watching. Um, I just I haven't been able to get myself to do it yet. <laughs> no, trust me, it takes forever to like push past that. But finally, you're yeah. like, come on, it's so fun. But I like yeah. that Airbnb, like most Airbnb influencers or short-term rental mm-hmm. influencers, there is the lifestyle aspect of their social media as well which i think is so different from like other businesses you don't always get that lifestyle aspect and it's so fun you feel like you know them more so it builds more trust right up front when you see their life along with their business yeah well i mean they they just feel like a real person right it's Mm -hmm. like i was able to hop right on here and be like i feel like i know you guys i I went on another, (laughs) another one the other day i met uh this guy flip um down in coronado he was doing some stuff down there and you know, as soon as I walked up, just like handshake, like I, I've seen this person a hundred times before, like we've had conversations, like it's it's completely different when, and, and I, I can't even imagine what like a client, you know, who's only seen you on social media and all of a sudden they come in and like see you, how much different that is than, you know, hey, I just randomly called you out of the blue. I talked to you on the phone a couple of times. Now I'm seeing you for the first time. Like that's such a different experience. Yeah. Yeah, it is so strange. I mean, overall, love it. 100% love it. But also there's like this aspect of it where now because we're so prevalent on social media, when we do meet a new client or someone who has been watching us that doesn't have social media, like for us, we get to like stalk you, you stalk us. You're like, okay, I I have a like an existing online relationship with these girls. I'm like familiar Mm -hmm. But then when it's a client and they don't have social media, they're coming with so much knowledge about you up front and you're coming with absolutely no knowledge about them. And so there's this like imbalance of relationship right (laughs) off the get go. And so you're like, you know, the energy that they bring, it's like kind of alleviates the stress a little bit where they're like, okay, they're already comfortable with me. So I just have to like warm up to them. But there is this like weird mix of like, oh my gosh, they know so much about me and I I know nothing about them yet. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's pretty funny. You got to just start making people do TikToks with you as soon as they walk in the office. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> like, I record the entire interaction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not a bad idea. Well, I have another question for you, and it's kind of what I would say a controversial topic currently because it's about the recession. <laughs> but um, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's uh, like saying Voldemort right now. People don't want to talk about it. Um, yeah. What steps are you taking to hedge against the losing, the looming recession as like a property management company? Because I feel like everybody's kind of putting things into place to hedge their bets a little bit. Yeah. Um... So yeah, it is is kind of a tough topic because it's like, I've been talking to people for a long time because obviously I'm in real estate and, you know, my father-in-law's in in real estate and he's been through everything. And so he's been kind of warning about this stuff for so long. Um, So I've been talking to my clients about it for quite a while. Um, But I always try to look at things a little bit differently. And so I see Airbnb as kind of protection against a recession. Right, because if you look at any other times or types of real estate investing, um, they can be affected a whole lot more. And so, if you're doing a long-term rental, you're happy normally with like 200 bucks a month or something like that, right? And so, like, um, if there's any changes at all, you're out a lot of money. Um, with a lot of the properties that we're doing, at least, there's pretty big spreads um, to where you know, some very drastic things would have to happen for you to be out any money. Um, and during a recession, I think the name of the game the game is kind of holding on to the property through that. I think you actually did a video the other day kind of stating that too. Uh, and I couldn't agree more. I mean, as long as you get to a situation where you can weather the storm, um, which I don't think a lot of people that are at least doing rental the way that we're doing it uh, will have to just weather, um, I think you're going to be fine. Um, you know, the other thing that I look at is I know that Airbnb right now across the country is kind of down, but again, I've seen this stuff play out before because I've been in this kind of industry for long enough. I don't think that that's going to last, right? So a lot of people are saying, oh, the recession's coming. No one can afford anything. They're going to stop traveling altogether. I think people aren't traveling in Airbnbs in the country right now because they're all out of the country. Right. How many people do you know that got married in the last three years that are taking their honeymoon this summer to Europe? Right. And so I don't think anyone's really here. 
Um, and so I think that's a big kind of part of it. I think if you look at the cost of gas, um, even if it doubles and you know you got five people in a car driving an hour away, it's not going to cost you much more to travel locally. It's going to cost you a lot more to hop on a flight that's going to go up a couple hundred dollars per person. Um, and so I think, you know, it's going to kind of be slow here for a little bit. I, th I think by the end of the year, though, once everyone's kind of back in the country and kind of back to nor normal sea and everything that people will go back to traveling kind of domestically, you know, short distances from home, I think that's going to help the Airbnb market. Um, and yes, property values might kind of slow down a little bit, but that shouldn't affect you because you're still making, you know, a good monthly income off of it. Um, you know, I guess I'm a big proponent for it. I, I literally am opening escrow today on a property in Joshua Tree. <laughs> um, so it's like that shows you how scared I am of the whole situation. Um, but I think you just need to be smart about it. Um, you know, we are being more conservative with our numbers now than we were before. Um, you know, we the property we're opening escrow on, um, we ended up getting for a hundred thousand dollar price reduction. Ooh, um, nice. It still would have made sense that you know the other number, but you know we got it, so great. Um, we've got uh, you know big spreads that we're still looking at as worst case scenario, which I think we're going to go way above and beyond that, but. Um, you know, what I tell a lot of my clients is if the numbers make sense, why not? I mean, take this as an opportunity to go against the mold and, you know, keep kind of building up your portfolio. Just be smart about it. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like exactly what we talked about in our Super Slabs meeting today. Actually, you like almost <laughs> verbatim said the exact same thing that our entire team was like. We're just being smarter, but we're not stopping kind of a thing. But it's also funny you yeah. say international travel. I literally, I got married almost three years ago and I literally just took my honeymoon to Scotland <laughs> because we could finally go and we were really excited to go. So that's yeah. funny that you mentioned that. Yeah, just look at social media. Everybody's out of the country right now. So it's like, I just oh, don't yeah. think many people are here to travel. I mean, and what we're, we're seeing right now is a lot of last minute travel, which you know, sucks from the standpoint of, you know, prices are reduced because you start to kind of lower as you get a little bit closer. Um, but we're still booking. Uh, we're still seeing kind of like our numbers in terms of like views and booking percentages, like all that type of stuff are still, you know, normal, um, even though we're seeing kind of a pullback. Um, but it's, it's all good signs for, you know, if I am correct and people do kind of come back and still want to travel and just flying ends up being you know too expensive i think um that's those are all good signs for airbnb and um you know managers that are kind of treating it this way yeah 100 percent. and we have there's a guy on our team that does a lot of data analytics on airbnb and he was on our meeting today saying that like there is a stark very hard line difference from April to May of this year from remote destination travel to back to city travel. And so I think mm -hmm. you're right. I mean, it is just this transition, this like recovery period from COVID and everyone being stuck traveling, you know, within driving distance of their homes to being able to go further again. So I yeah. agree. I mean, I anticipate kind of the same thing that we'll, we'll kind of go backwards and um, and I mean, ultimately, if we've been in Airbnb for more than a few months, we've gone through COVID, <laughs> right? <Yeah>. So <laughs> as hosts and me specifically having properties in Dallas during COVID, like travel nearly completely stopped. I mean, and the margins mm -hmm. are just so big on short-term rentals that uh, Rob built the other day was like, oh, okay, so we're going from a 50% margin to an 18 to 20% margin, like even in the worst yeah. of times, like that's still great. <laughs> like, we, mm -hmm. yeah. we don't have to get our panties in a bundle over something like this. So um, yeah, I agree. I mean, we're still buying. The and Yeah, the other thing that I think is really interesting right now um, is the opportunity to look into other areas. Um, you know, obviously Airbnb just made this change in terms of search. Um, so it opens up the door to so many different areas that normally you wouldn't really look at. And that's why I kind of brought up the Placerville, Apple Hill area um, is because we're kind of in a unique circumstance where we learned in one of the hardest amenity markets, right? Joshua Tree, where in order to compete, you have to have crazy cool amenities and really stand out 
And so mm-hmm. we're taking that same mentality to the, all these other areas that aren't used to seeing that. Um, and we're kind of proving that it's working really well. Um, but it starts to open up the door for, you know, some places that might be cheaper, you know, that are a little bit further out that you can really make, you know, awesome and then show up on, you know, for instance, like you see all these properties in like uh, Landers now, which like no one knows what Landers is, but it's close to it's close enough to Joshua Tree. Um, but th- they're showing up in like the desert category, right? Or, you know, in the mountains, instead of being in Big Bear, you can be in uh, Sugarloaf or, you know, somewhere else that, you know, people don't know the name of it, but they're still going to find it now. Um, and so those are some of the areas that I really like right now. The other thing that we're looking at with a lot of our clients is, you know, being smart about not being or not being too risky in terms of where you're purchasing. And I'm I'm not following this at all right now because I'm buying a Joshua Tree, but Joshua Tree is like a you know D market, right? So it's it, it's going to tank. It's going to take a while to build back up. I don't really care because I know that the monthly income is going to be fine, right? But for people that are uh, worried about that, you know, an area like Paso Robles is, you know, really great because it shows um, some really high potential for long-term growth in terms of like being a net, one of the next big wine hotspots in California. Um, and so, you know, places like that, um, you know, if you can, you know, get something in like Oceanside or something like that, that has good long-term rental value as well, just in case. Um, I think that those are all smart things to look at as well um, if you want to kind of hedge your bets. Yeah, 100%. We are in the market in Michigan again. We're going to be buying probably two more properties by the end of the year. And Michigan is such an interesting market because there's just not there's just not a whole lot (laughs) like as far as airbnb (laughs) goes it's like every single property looks like grandma's house and so you'll get on air dna and you'll like type in a location and it'll be like projects forty two thousand dollars but then you'll look at the eight airbnbs around and it's like literally looks like nobody's walked in that house since the 70s and so like we took a gamble on like the house that i'm sitting in right now we really took a gamble on it where it said that it was going to pull you know, seventy or eighty thousand dollars, and we were like, okay, well, that's the highest we really can find in Michigan. But again, the competition on this lake looks like Grandma's house, and so we come in and we pull yeah. a lot of the inspiration from bigger markets like Joshua Tree, like Dallas, like Austin, and we bring in the cool amenities, we bring in the nice design, we bring in the great photographs, and all of a sudden we're pulling six figures, and we're like, okay, where else can we do this? Like instead of yep. going to all these hot markets where everyone is competing. And you have to come in ready to compete at this insane caliber. Why not go into this like quieter market that may be a little bit higher risk because the numbers don't look as great. But if you understand mm-hmm. what people really are looking for in traveling nowadays, I mean, there are girls who want an Instagrammable space in the middle of nowhere, Michigan, just like there are girls in California who want the Instagrammable space in Joshua Tree. I need yep. one. You guys need, you know, you are competing with a gazillion. So mm-hmm. absolutely. For new investors, we always tell them to kind of look away from the hot markets and try and find something a little bit quieter that they can do a lot more failing and still have a lot of upside. Yeah. And that's where I think like the social media side of things is huge. Um And I've been telling people this for a long time in terms of like the demand that you can create with that. Um, And luckily we're, we're just kind of getting to a point where it's like even more important, like even with, (laughs) with uh, Airbnb kind of rolling out these new changes where, you know, asking if you've been in different magazines and where you've been featured and all that, like we've been doing that for a while just because, you know, I, I, I know that that's more eyes on it, but now it's kind of needed. Um, But I think, those properties that are in the middle of nowhere do so much better on social media. Like your guys' cabin that you have is awesome. You know, Um, I want to go stay there. Like, (laughs) yeah, there's, there's one that we were looking at buying up in kind of the Placerville area. um, That was this giant A-frame on like 10 acres. And literally when you walk out um, down below is like the American river but when you look out across the mountains, you can only see one house and it's like a little speck in the distance. And so we're gonna like black it out, make it like super, you know, modern kind of cool place. It had a pool, like it, we were gonna, you know, really do it up cool. Um, we ended up not pulling the trigger on that one, but um, yeah, I mean, those are the ones that if you get that on social media, it doesn't matter where it's at. Somebody's going to plan a trip 
around going to that property just because it's so awesome and it's a unique experience. Yeah, Absolutely. 100%. 100%. It reminds me of that girl in New York that has that like one bed, one bath. Um, I think her name on TikTok is E. Broom or something, but she's all over social media with her one property and it goes for like, you know, $1,000 a night, but it's a one bed, one bath. It's got the hot tub. It's got a field that you can like yeah. literally land a helicopter in. Like, just like <laughs> it's so excessive, but you can tell that she like yeah. looked at the market around her and she was like, nah, I'm going to set my own prices with this because it's going to be a one of a kind experience that people will fly in for. Yep. Yeah. A hundred percent. There's some cool things like that, that I think, are the most fun anyways, right? Like those are the things that, you know, we all love building. Those are the things that people want to go to. Those are the things that are going to get spectacular reviews and everything just because, you know, it's different. Like, for instance, like, you know, Scottsdale, right? No one is seeing an, a Scottsdale Airbnb and being like, I'm going to go to Scottsdale for this experience. They're going to Scottsdale for a reason and then finding something. And so those types of guests are so much different than the ones that are finding it the other way around um, for so many reasons. I mean, you know, th those people are going to uh, enjoy the experience a lot more that, you know, find it through social media. They're going to give you much better reviews. They're going to look past a lot of negatives that they might experience at your property just because they, you know, have that different experience with it. Um, and so it's a lot easier to manage those properties than, you know, the other way around. A hundred percent. Yeah. We had a podcast last week with a couple um, who has a property in Tulum and they have an entire like creative agency on the side. Um, that's kind of their main income source. And they just happen mm -hmm. to want to move to Tulum. And so they turn it into an Airbnb while they travel elsewhere. And almost a hundred percent of their traffic comes from their social media channels. Like they don't have a direct booking site, but they're like, yeah, everyone that comes in, like we, we have a previous relationship with them. They're emotionally attached to it just like we are. Yeah. And we're like, you know, have you had any nightmare scenarios? And they're like, no. And I'm like, I think you guys are the people who have like had the honeymoon phase the longest. And it's because of that, like that, you know, destination to stay in their space. Like people are emotionally yep. attached to them as a brand before they're attached to the Airbnb. And so their entire experience has been like, so much more wholesome than 90% of the yeah. people that we talk to that are hosts. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and that I, I kind of came up with that on my own because of us traveling. There's so many times that we'd be traveling in different countries and stuff. And like, we'd only be finding our Airbnbs through social media or, you know, blogs and that type of stuff. Um, and so we'd book it and you get there and you're like, wow, it's so amazing. Like, I'm going to take a picture like this person did or whatever, right? Stupid stuff. Um, but you get there and if i would have just stumbled across this place and checked in like there's so many complaints i could have had about these places but you just overlook them because you know it's part of the experience right there's even a place in um palm springs that's like that i forget the name of it but my wife and i went there as part of our like little baby moon um and it's like this mediterranean style place in palm springs um and like the rooms are kind of gross to be honest with you like 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 the the, the the bathrooms are like this stone that just doesn't look that clean and there's like water build up on stuff and everything it's like it's nothing spectacular and it's a very expensive place but you kind of look past it because it's kind of like the feel of that place you know it's like you see it all over social media and it's kind of the charm that it's like it feels like you're actually in the mediterranean it's not this like bougie kind of like done up version of it um so I think that's always kind of been the mentality that we have in terms of trying to give that experience to people, um, you know, because a lot of times one, you know, it's a lot more fun and all that different stuff, but it's a lot easier to manage those types of uh, guests. 100%. Well, we have one more question for you as we kind of wrap up. Um, what is your least favorite part about Airbnb? Um, my least favorite part about Airbnb um there's a couple things coming to mind um <laughs> so i think one of the bigger things in terms of travel uh like being on the guest side um a thing that i really don't enjoy about airbnb and part of the reason for a long time i wouldn't use airbnb uh, even though i was managing airbnbs and all stuff i just got over using them um was just the unpredictability of you know, what you're going to get. 
right? I know that's a big concern for a lot of people. And that's kind of the reason why we started Hugomes was to kind of give that Marriott model of like, hey, you know exactly what you're going to get from all of our properties. Um, and that's part of the reason why, you know, we're all out here having these conversations and trying to help, you know, hosts, even if they're not our clients, we want to give them this type of information so that they can help the industry as well, right? Because if all of us are doing the same type of thing and trying to increase the standards of, you know, not only our properties, but the way that we host, then more and more people will have more trust in Airbnb, which helps all of us. Um, so I guess, I think that's one of the biggest things from the traveling side. Um, from the hosting side, the biggest thing probably is just that they're <laughs> they're almost too pro host all the time. A lot of the changes that they like to make um, don't really benefit the, um, the, the host at all well so they're they're too beneficial of the traveler not the host and so a lot of the times they're not really thinking about the people that are bringing them the income right they're, again one of those situations where it's like they're nothing without the host yeah um and a lot of times i think they over they don't look at that enough they're trying to appease the traveler too much um so like for instance it really bugs me with some of the policies that they have right in terms of like the benefits that the, the the renter has over the host with like reviews and um you know cancellations and all these different things that you know the biggest thing is we have a moderate uh cancellation policy right so people can cancel up to five days um happens actually a lot but you know it's worth it um but we'll have people cancel literally an hour before that time's up right and you're like Come on, like if you would have known, do it ahead of time at least. We have some time to kind of get this. But we don't, like that person doesn't get hit with one of those automated reviews on their account that they canceled last second, right? But if we cancel on them, we get hit with that review, right? And so I think it would be beneficial to the whole community to know these people ahead of time that are going around and just booking all these places and canceling on all these hosts, right? So I don't understand why that's not seen both ways. And so I think that's just one example of, you know, a lot of different circumstances that they have that are a little bit too pro guest that I understand why they have those um, because there are a lot of hosts as well out there that kind of are not the best hosts. Um, but I think, you know, rewarding some of the, the hosts that are out there that are really trying to be, you know, um, guest forward on everything that they're doing i think they need to kind of look into some of that stuff oh my gosh yeah 1000 percent, yes i like i've i feel like i've gotten pretty lucky like with on the guest front especially like i haven't had any like huge nightmare scenarios that have involved airbnb's help a whole lot um yeah so i feel like i've gotten kind of lucky on that front but again going back to the michael alafante story that's just happened to him i mean he's currently going through it where he has that two bed, two bath in Nashville that somebody brought a DJ mm -hmm. onto his rooftop and like threw an absolute rager and yeah. he called Airbnb support and Airbnb actually sent out the cops and like he was like kept Airbnb in the loop. They like removed the guest. Well, then the guest, I'm sure, just did a quick Google search and saw that, you know, after they received this like big bill because they had put holes mm -hmm. in the wall and everything else they reported to airbnb that there were cameras on the inside of the property even there even yep. though there weren't i mean there are no cameras mm -hmm. on the inside of his property and so airbnb has suspended his account even though like airbnb was involved with the bad guests involved with removing them involved with sending them the bill like still canceled or has like suspended his account for the time being as they like do a, yeah. a larger review and i'm like that's exhausting. <laughs> it's like you don't require proof. Yeah, we went through like a very similar sort uh, situation recently um, where, I mean, it wasn't a party. I mean, this this lady brought a bunch of dogs and they pooped all over the place and we weren't supposed to have animals and all that type of stuff. Like nothing major, but just annoying, right? And so we were like, hey, can you give us like, I think it was like 50, extra 50 bucks for the cleaning of it. And like she left cigarette butts all over the inside of the house too, which, you know, 
we had to get somebody in there to get all the smoke out and everything. Like it, it, it was it was kind of a, a nuisance, but we were trying to be really civil and just be like, hey, just pay for an extra little bit. And then she like flipped out and was like, you guys had cameras and all this different stuff. And it's like, correct, but we tell you, not, not only do we tell you where the cameras are on the listing, but in the welcome book we send, we send pictures of what the cameras can see. So you know exactly what's in camera view. Um, and so we went through the same thing where they shut it down. Luckily, we sent them, you know, everything uh, and they opened it back up in 24 hours. But because we understand um, like their policies really well, um, like that's one thing that I've always kind of tried to pride myself on is like really understanding the policies and the ins and outs of them. Um, we were able like she left the battery view and we were able to get it removed we were able to get you know all the money back like it's just it's more of a pain than anything but you can get through it and that's why i was kind of choking at the beginning with the whole prince story where you know it's we got it back but it's a pain it's like not a lot of people are willing to go through that nor do they know how and it's kind of sad because i think people prey off of that yeah you know um and luckily we've been doing this long enough that i know how to pick up the phone and talk to the right people and say the right things and not say the wrong things. And like, that's more important than anything with these things, because you can easily say the wrong thing, even if you don't mean to, and you're not getting your money back. You're not, you know, getting the uh, review removed. Like you really have to know how to have these conversations with them and how to navigate them or else they're just going to walk around you. Yep. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely an art to it an art and a finesse. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us on this uh, podcast today. For yes. our listeners who want to connect with you um, after this, where can they find you? Yeah, so my personal Instagram is just at Bryce Cano, B-R-Y-C-E-C-A-N-O. Uh, I like to post a lot of stuff um, just about the industry and kind of, you know, what we're doing business-wise and just tips and stuff like that. Uh, if you go to our company page, which is at underscore h-y-g-g-e home rentals um we do a lot of our properties and just really cool videos of the experiences that we offer and stuff i think that that one's a really fun fun follow because you get to see some cool properties all the time um but yeah those are probably the two best places to find us beautiful and emily do you want to plug us as well yeah, we will tag all of Bryce's stuff below so you guys will have direct links to his social media accounts. But if you guys are more interested in Superhost Labs, you can find us at superhostlabs.com or at Superhost Labs on TikTok and Instagram. And Sarah and I are at the Carwells on all platforms. Beautiful. Well, Bryce, thank you again. And to our listeners, yes. thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye.